so many of our family friends with kids with disabilities, adults with disabilities who cannot drive. This would offer so much autonomy to them and control over their lives that they don't have now. And that's extremely exciting. Hello and welcome to the Be Connected podcast. I'm Val Quinn and I'm a technology commentator, broadcaster and publisher and your host of the Be Connected podcast. So what does the future hold? From battery technology that powers our homes and electric vehicles to robots, self-driving cars and home internet connections from space, how are some of today's most promising technologies progressing and what role will they have in tomorrow's world? Well, returning to the Be Connected podcast to explore this with us is Nellie Thomas. So Nellie's a comedian, an author, a podcaster, and radio presenter. And, well, I guess we didn't talk about enough tech last time, so you're back for more. <laughs> well, it's obviously my area of expertise, Val. Being an almost 50-year-old woman um, who really is still stuck on email, <laughs> this is my jam. You know, I've been mad for cars since I was a kid, and the advances in electric vehicle and battery technology is really exciting. So in a seemingly short amount of time, we now have batteries in cars that allow them to travel up to 350 kilometers on a single charge, which is really good. So let's kick off our look into the future by revisiting the past. Nelly, what do you know about the history of electric vehicles? I mean, one of the things that blew my mind when looking into this is that electric cars first appeared in the 1880s. 1880s, not 1980s. Um, in the UK and the US, they could go up to 25 k's an hour. They could carry up to six people, but the combustion engine and petrol, you know, were more convenient and easier to produce and all the rest of it. So that's how we ended up with petrol cars. But the technology has been around for a long time, but it's really accelerated, hasn't it? Probably in the last decade. It absolutely has. But it's, isn't that interesting? Like there was a, a fork in the road, so to speak, way back mm. then where, you know, we could have gone petrol, we could have gone electric. And, you know, we obviously went the way that we did. And the petrol engine was so refined over time and became so much more efficient. But it would be amazing to see what the battery, sort of battery or electric motors would be like today if that were the case. Surely there will be a point in which the battery life extends well beyond 350 case, you know, in the same way as the first computer I had would have been able to hold less than my iPhone. Oh, yeah, they absolutely are. I would also say as someone who I took up one of those um, schemes through the local council to get solar panels, which has been fantastic. So my power bills are, I don't know, $30 a month or something, even with kids. Um, So the idea of being able to utilize my solar panels and charge a car instead of buying petrol, even just financially, let alone environmentally, is a huge, you know, tick in the other column. Oh, look, I mean, this is the dream. And, and given the, the price of electricity as well as the price of petrol, I just love the idea where you have solar panels on your roof that charges your electric car. So you really don't even need to be connected to the grid. You can drive around on this charge. And even because the batteries in a car are so large, they can actually power your house or serve as a backup battery for when you need extra electricity too. So during a power outage, for example, your car Mm. can actually keep the power on in your house, which is a really nice little feature too. Mm. So to be clear, your, your car battery, let's say your power goes out, your car battery can run your dishwasher, can run your heater, can run your electric um, oven, whatever it is, or even in other times when you've got excess power stored, you'll be reducing your power bills off your car battery. That's right. 
It is an amazing world. <laughs> oh, Val, can I show off? Because it's very rare I'm able to do this in this context. <laughs> sure. You're talking about multi-directional power, aren't you? Well, I am. I'm talking about multi-directional power. That is impressive. You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's where, you know, it, the power can flow two ways. It can be mm. sent to a battery and stored there, um, or it can take it from the battery back in. And with houses these days too, you can also get, um, for example, Tesla, which makes batteries. They have a power wall, which is a big battery that you put in your house where solar solar energy gets stored there for when you need it later, or it can go to your car or all over the place. So it's, it's pretty handy. Yeah, indeed. Now I've got a question for you because when I think about all of this sort of technology in cars, I think Jetsons, I think flying cars, I think autonomous cars, mm. I think will I have to drive, will my stuff be delivered, can my kid drive themselves to school? Like how far away are we from this? Well, we're sort of most of the way there. So with autonomous or self-driving cars, there's sort of a rating right now where there's different levels of autonomy, a level one means that it might stay in a lane um, instead of driving out of it. Whereas a level five means a car can completely drive itself, doesn't even have a steering wheel. It can go about a whole day's worth of driving around. And, and that's where we're trying to get to is this level five autonomy. So I think the most advanced EVs have maybe level three or level four, um, but <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, interest in moving that up to level five. But there's also a lot of regulation because you know, um, governments aren't just going to let these cars drive themselves around. No. And the whole benefit here is about safety. Um, you know, the World Health Organization estimates that there are about 1.35 million people who die annually from traffic accidents. And because autonomous cars use computers that can react in fractions of a second compared to what we do, you know, they should save lives, um, thousands and thousands of lives every year. But Val, you and I both know, myself included, and I'm sure you included, humans are not rational. And the idea of sitting in a vehicle that doesn't have a steering wheel or a brake that I'm not in control of in traffic in a city, or even probably more so out on the open road, makes me feel unsafe, even if that feeling's irrational. So how do you think we're going to get around that? Well, I don't think I'd feel safe in an autonomous vehicle with no steering wheel yet either. But believe it or not, this is where the the whole sort of industry is heading the idea is that once a car can drive around all day why even own a car at all why mm. not just use a fleet of what they call robo taxis which um you know drive around they pick people up they drop them off so it's changing the whole idea of even owning a car mm. because if you can just get one of these pretty much at any time you know using an app on your phone and it takes you where you need to go um, there's just no point in having your own vehicle. And there's even opportunities for people to make money because uh, if you buy a car when you're not using it, it can go out, drive itself around, pick people up, drop them off. So there's this whole idea too that if you wanted to own a car, you could get it to pay for itself by driving people around when you're not using it. So this just changes the whole game when it comes to owning vehicles. Mm. I mean, two two thoughts pop into my head. One is there's being Australian, maybe it's not Australian specific, but I have friends who cry when they talk about their car. Like that is how <laughs> much they love their car. The idea, I am not one of those people. I don't even know the brand of my car and I'm not exaggerating. 
I don't care about cars, but I know some people, the idea of car ownership is deeply, deeply emotional and part of their identity. The other part of me goes, I have a child with a disability. So I see this through a disability lens and go, so many of our family friends with kids with disabilities, adults with disabilities who cannot drive, this would offer so much autonomy to Mm. them and control over their lives that they don't have now. And that's extremely exciting. Yeah, I think, yeah, for for people who might struggle to drive and get around, you know, as we get older, we may not be able to have a driver's license, but we don't have to lose our our independence and our freedom. Um, And actually, it'll become far more convenient and, and less expensive because we don't have to own cars. And then safer because the more autonomous vehicles on the road, the, the more sort of predictable their driving is and less erratic, you know, a human driver might be, and it actually might make things safer again. And another area too to think about is, um, you know, high risk environments um, like, uh, you know, mining, for example. I mean, right now, Rio Tinto in Western Australia has the largest autonomous fleet in the world where 130 trucks are controlled by a centralized system, you know, miles and miles away from their headquarters in Perth. Um, So there's some real advantages there. That's right. They're already being used and we forget that. I mean, when I talk about the emotional reaction to it, we all know that when, you know, if you're a history buff, when the petrol car was introduced and replaced the horse and cart, there were the same fears, you know, that Hmm. no one will ever want these, no one will ever buy them, they're dangerous, they're death traps, all the rest of it. Um, Obviously, change is hard for humans, um, but that change, as you said, when there's big companies like Rio Tinto already using them, um, it's a common. It's oh, yeah. a common. It's, it's fascinating to, to kind of learn how um, autonomous vehicles are getting better. Um, so right now, um, Tesla is a very popular uh, EV company, and they have probably the best autonomous vehicle technology. So what they're doing is with all the cars that they sold, and there's millions of them around the world, each one of those is actually collecting data about the road conditions and um, it's learning um, how to drive better. So all this data is centralized and then artificially intelligent computers are analyzing that and then teaching um, the, I guess, the driverless systems how to drive better. So the more cars that are out there, the more information is collected and the better the actual autonomous driving becomes. So over time, uh, it's it's going to get so good that it really is going to be as good as most of us, if not much better, because, you know, we get fatigued and we do stupid things mm. and we are, you know, younger drivers are inexperienced. So, you know, we're going to see a real improvement there. And another thing mm. I love about autonomous vehicles, too, is um, imagine trucking and how it's going to change that, because, you know, trucks usually have to drive a long way. Drivers are fatigued. Um, they're on the motorway, most of it. Um, so, you know, if you can imagine, I know it sounds a bit scary with big trucks on the road that don't have drivers, but I think that's going to make a big difference to transporting goods across the country. I think it could make a huge difference. And same, as you say, with, you know, moving goods right across the country within cities and so on. The only, there is part of my brain though going, oh, those poor people are not going to have a job anymore. You know, and this is always the problem when we start talking about things like robotics, for example, and now we've got, you know, things that can fold your laundry. We've got like, I have a robotic pool cleaner, you know, there will be a time where you have a robot that can come in and cook you an egg 
And all of these things offer great benefits. Again, if I put a disability lens on, they could be incredibly liberating for a range of people. But I, there's always in the back of my mind going, what about people's jobs? Yeah. You know, what about who, they, where, where's that truck driver going to work? Yeah, that, well, that's a good point. And yeah, when it comes to robotics in the home, um, you know, I just, I just installed a new uh, robotic vacuum cleaner. I just plugged it in, used the app, and I let it map my floor and vacuum my floor, and it didn't get stuck anywhere, and it covered everything. And I have to say, I was so impressed where the technology is. Um, but yeah, that's just the beginning. Um, lots more there. Oh, it's it's mind blowing. I actually saw one of those probably almost ten years ago. So one of my best friends was the late great disability advocate Stella Young, who many of you will know from her work on the ABC and TED Talks and things. And she had one of those. And again, in that sort of disability space, or if you have mobility issues or you're elderly or whatever, you can't get around with a conventional vacuum cleaner or clean the bath or do various things. And it was a game changer, mm. absolute game changer for her. I can, I'm a dog lover. We have two dogs. So I'm strongly considering getting one of those robot vacuum cleaners because I vacuum every day. Yeah. And that vacuum cleaner can get under the bed and it can get under your couch and do a better job than I can. Well, it can also mop the floors as well. So it knows when it's on a hard surface, it uses this little mop attachment mm. and off it goes. And, you know, I tried out a robotic lawnmower and it uh, cut mm. my lawn uh, when I was testing and reviewing that. Um, and there's even, um, there's one called Foldy Mate, which is a home robot that it actually can fold uh all of your laundry in four minutes. If you can imagine that, like I absolutely hate folding laundry. Do you? So, you know, yeah. Oh, see, I mean, Val, I love folding laundry <laughs> and I could fold a load of laundry in four minutes. I like that one a lot less. <laughs> but how about this one? Um, there's a robot called Flippy um, that made burgers at a Californian restaurant chain and it used thermal sensors to tell when a burger was cooked. <laughs> so Flippy did this job so well that the uh, the human coworkers couldn't assemble the burgers as quickly um, to keep up with it. Well, and again, this is why I'm in two minds. I mean, I grew up, I worked in a fast food restaurant for five years as a teenager. You know, that's how, that's how I earned my pocket money and saved up to go to uni and all of those sorts of things. So, but you know, it's, I think, working at the burger joint as a teenager is almost a rite of passage. And I don't know if we should miss that experience. <laughs> I don't either. But look, you're right. You know, the number of robots worldwide could be 20 million by 2030. And yeah. uh, they could take up to 51 million jobs in the next 10 years. That That's the stats I have in front of me. So Val, what sort of jobs do you think won't be able to replace by robots? Because I sort of immediately think you know, in the caring profession, surely a robot can't play, replace, for example, I don't know, you come out of surgery and a nurse holds your hand and makes you feel better. Like, what are the jobs that we're going to need humans to do? Podcasting, clearly. Yes. Well, let's hope that um, the AIs out there don't figure out how to podcast. But um, things like um, scientists, uh, lawyers, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> writers, uh, graphic designers, uh, psychiatrists, CEOs, those ones are, you know, in a, a safe place. But um, the ones that could be replaced are, you know, customer service uh, people, bookkeepers, couriers and drivers, like we were mentioning, uh, lots of manufacturing, receptionists, uh, even like uh, people in retail that might help you uh, find something or uh, get information about something. And believe it or not, uh, soldiers and doctors, which Whoa. is a little bit staggering. Mm. 
So Val, we're talking about like all this sort of robotic technology and driverless vehicles, and I've got a Jetsons future, you know, flashing before my eyes. And yet at the same time, I think I can't even get my broadband to be consistent in a day. You know what I mean? Like I keep changing broadband providers trying to find this Australian nirvana of a consistent, fast broadband because we rank, what, 68th in the world for broadband speeds. I don't know what we rank in terms of dropouts, but at my place it's pretty high. So how are we going to correct that? Well, yeah, that's a good point. We really need, uh, you know, the technology to connect everything together too and for it to be fast. Um and, you know, our speeds, uh, the, the, the data speeds that we receive information are about a, a third of what Americans enjoy. So, um, yeah, and, and people in the, out in the outback can't really get the Internet at all. Um, the NBN is being upgraded uh, to fiber uh, for more of it um, than what it was before. There's a lot of copper in the network. And that will improve the speeds. But, you know, this is about putting cables in the ground and it really does take time. And also, you know, you've probably heard of 5G, and that's the, it's the fastest version of uh, mobile uh, phone technology. And it really is fast. It's actually a lot faster than what the NBN currently is. And surprisingly, our 5G is the fastest in the world. Um, you know, it's got a range of about 500 meters. So that means that it needs a lot of towers uh, to be built to provide, you know, uh, good coverage for this sort of the highest, fastest 5G. Um, so it makes sense in cities and stuff, but not so much in remote regions. Mm. So what I've actually been really excited about is satellite internet, um, because satellites can reach pretty much, you know, the hardest to reach areas of all where there's, you know, no cables in the ground and there's no cell towers. Um, and, uh, a guy named Elon Musk, who you might've mm -hmm. heard of, um, he's really into, uh, something called Starlink. And that's a that's a satellite constellation um, of thousands and thousands of satellites. So he actually wants to roll out 42,000 of them into space. And that basically will mean that the entire globe will have access to the internet. It's pretty staggering what we're mm. talking about here. Yeah, well, I mean, that's interesting because I think, you know, when you say like it's it can be difficult to get remote access. I mean, that's clearly true. But I think, you know, as I said, I live in Melbourne. We have a caravan about one and a half hours from Melbourne, which you would hardly call remote. And mm. we cannot get internet there in that town. And that is in a town. I think this the issue of the broadband is really going to hold back public confidence in moving forward with things like robotics and even electric vehicles. Because for most people who are not tech savvy, this is all lumped into one. And when you sit there and think, I can't even download my email on my phone and I'm in a town, how am I going to run my car? Or how is that robot going to flip those burgers? So it mm. feels like something urgent. Do you think the Elon Musk idea has got legs? Oh, I absolutely do. And it's actually, it's here right now. And it covers more than half of Australia. Um, and what makes it so revolutionary is that the satellites are they're in something called low Earth orbit. And that means it takes less time for the signals to get uh, up there and back down again. So the kind of Internet that Starlink provides is not only really fast, there's barely any delay. And that means that things like autonomous cars and other uh, robots 
can get a really quick signal so they can actually use it to drive around and navigate and things like that. Whereas traditional satellite internet isn't fast enough to allow that type of stuff. But more importantly, basically the reason why Starlink can exist is because Elon owns a rocket company. The cost of launching a rocket a week is like with NASA doing it, it's over a billion dollars per launch. Well, with Elon Musk and his reusable rockets that come back and land after they go up to space, um, it's a, like it's a few million dollars. And that's why he's creating this incredible um, constellation. And, and so in, in sort of lay terms, does that mean is Starlink the equivalent of like a Telstra or an Optus or a TPG or like it's an internet company. Yeah, Starlink is an internet company, um, but it's meant for not so much for people in cities. It's meant for people who want to take their uh, RV out into the bush and have a connection while they're driving and when they get there or remote communities, uh, you know, uh, schools that are out in the bush. Um, it's also um, airlines are now signing up to use it, meaning that you'll get like fast, high quality internet when the plane is flying for the entire, uh, you know, uh, all the passengers on it. Um, whereas right now when you're in a plane, sometimes you get Wi-Fi, but it's not very good and it's not very good when you're flying internationally. Well, uh, for example, Alaska Airlines is the first to sign up and there's going to be a lot more. Um, it can be on boats as well, uh, big ships. Uh, um, you know, uh, if you're on a cruise, you can now have really, really good internet. So uh, Starlink's changing the way internet is uh, accessible to the entire world. And you can, you have to get a dish, like a, a little satellite dish, and it has to be able to see the sky to uh, receive it. Um, but then, yeah, you have your dish and you can take it with you or you can put it on the top of your house and, and off you go. It just blows my mind that this isn't more widely known. Like if I wasn't doing this podcast, I never would have heard of this. And I have constant discussions with friends with internet frustrations and trying different mm. providers and there being no solution. And never have I heard of this ever. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not finished yet, but it works in the state that it's currently in, as long as you have the satellites sort of near you. And like I said, about half of Australia does, mostly... Um, uh, I think the northern half is the one that doesn't have as good coverage, but this is what I love. It kind of helps complete the dream. So imagine this, you've got your house in a nice country space somewhere out, out, out in the bush. You've got your solar panels on the roof. You've got your electric car in the garage, and then you've got your Starlink dish on the top. And that's it. You've got your high-speed internet. You've got your own energy. You can drive your car without um, you know, using petrol. I, that's the dream for me. I'd love to do that. That dream sounds pretty good. I would also add that your driverless car can drive to your favorite restaurant in a nearby oh, yeah. town or city and bring back the food that you like <laughs> so that you can actually have takeaway and so on. But look, there's so many pluses and minuses to all of it. For me in general, it's moving forward. I try and embrace technology. It, it um, stresses me out. It really does. Like it's, I'm not comfortable with the pace of change, but I'm really trying to embrace it and look for the positives. See, I love that vision. Yes, I, I agree. Mm. Well, I'll tell you, we've really covered a lot of ground here from robots to autonomous vehicles to Starlink satellites. Um, you know, there's, there's just so much to talk about, Nelly, but I really appreciate your company today while we explore where technology is going and, and what the future might look like. Oh, my absolute pleasure. I mean, there's so many things that I will be thinking about in an, my insomniac stupor in the middle of the night, but the first and foremost one will be proper Wi-Fi. 
for an Australian <laughs> that is like hitting the jackpot. So I'm going to look into it. Just give Elon Musk a call and he'll sort you out. I'm oh, no you know doubt. I will. <laughs> so thanks for joining us for the Be Connected podcast and really appreciate Nelly for jumping on board and sharing her knowledge with us. Thanks for having me. That's my pleasure. And if you like what you've heard, you know, please subscribe to receive all of the latest episodes and leave a review to help others find us. And remember to visit the show notes for more information on anything we've covered here today, including links and other useful materials. For more about today's subject and to discover other great topics, go to www.beconnected.esafety.gov.au. That's www.beconnected.esafety.gov.au. I'm Val Quinn, and I look forward to your company next time. Be Connected is an Australian government initiative developed by the Department of Social Services, the eSafety Commissioner and Good Things Foundation Australia. Be Connected builds the digital skills, confidence and online safety of all Australians with engaging online learning resources and a network of over 3,500 community organisations to support them to thrive in a digital world.